Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your Spirit by the power of your Word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, a big thank you for Tom for standing in my stead this morning and the band for being flexible. Uh, Friday night, we were sitting at the house and, you know, it was snowing. It was, it was cold. And the doorbell rang. It was at like 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. And we kind of looked at each other going, everybody's home. I, I, what the heck? So we, Josiah and I go to the door. I open the door and it, it was a kid. Well, kid, he was in his late 20s, but he was probably in diapers when I started driving. So that counts, right? This kid, right? Um, he said, well, hey, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm one of the new members of your community here, a new neighbor, and, and I saw the, the lights are on in your car out here. The lights were on in Elantra in the, in the driveway. And we said, oh, oh, thank you, thank you. And so these went out and, and turned off the lights and all those things. And then I started thinking about it. We're in the midst of the Epiphany season. We've just gotten done with Christmas. Christmas is this you know, this big holiday where we get all souped up spiritually and we're, we, you know, the, 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 the presents and the trees and the candles and the carols and we get to hear the story and the shepherds and angels and all that stuff. And then it, Christmas gets done and it's just... And then we're waiting for Easter with ham and scalloped potatoes and empty tombs and, and trumpets and, and all those things. And, and there is kind of this intermedi- intermediary time of Lent where, where Lutherans do Lent really well. We get all somber and we wear purple and we, we give up something and we sing hymns in minor keys and, and we do all of that. But the Epiphany season is this time to make us not forget something. For instance, not to forget that the lights are on. To point us to the fact that there actually is a light that is on for us. That even when we're sitting in our unsuspecting space, sitting in our house all comfortable, that, that it's a time for us to be called back to the fact that this Jesus is still here for you. 
that this Jesus that we celebrated being born in a manger is still for you. We, we heard about it a couple of weeks ago with, with, with the, the, the wise guys, right? Wise men come from the east. And they come and they bow before this, this king of the Jews who is the king of kings, saying that all kings will bow. And then last week we had the baptism of our Lord. This baptism where the very one who didn't need to be baptized got baptized for your sake, in part that he might take on all sin, but also so that you might know that this is the Son of God. And then this week we get the Lamb of God. We get John screaming it at the top of his lungs, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For the ears of that day, they would have been trained to hear that from Exodus 12, Passover, where it says, get a lamb get a, get from either the, the sheep or the goats, and you're going to kill this lamb. You're going to collect its blood, and you're going to eat it in haste. But before you eat it, you're going to take some of that blood, and you're going to paint it on the doorpost so that the angel of death that's coming to kill the firstborn in every single household will pass over your house. And then they hear the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who passes over the sin of the world. Or we could go to Leviticus 4 with the, with the sin offering where quite literally you would come into the temple and you would place your hands on this lamb and, and signifying it taking upon your sin. And then does that lamb get sent off to some petting zoo? No, it's killed. And it's blood poured out at the altar for you. Just like a blood that's poured out on an altar for us, too. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, declaring it, screaming it. Or, or we can go all the way back to Genesis 22. I was reading that this week in my, in my weekly readings. It's a text that most of us don't like all that much because it's Abraham told to kill his, his, his son, um, who is a teenager, though, so I'm wondering if those correlate. But, you know, Isaac kind of figures it out. It's like, Dad, you've got everything else. We got the wood, we got the fire, the knife's all sharp. We're going up to this mountain where we like to do all our sacrifices, but there's no lamb. Where's the lamb, Dad? And all Abraham tells him is the Lord will provide the lamb. And just before Abraham's going to sacrifice Isaac as he was commanded by God, God stays his hand and then provides a ram caught in the thicket, saying, God provides the lamb. It's where we get God's name, Jehovah Jireh, God who provides, connected to a lamb, lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is what John comes into the world proclaiming, telling us that, for instance, there's no other lamb. You don't get a choice in another lamb. There's not a menu for lambs. And you go, well, I don't want the Jesus lamb. I want want some other lamb. I want some other way to appease God. Or I want some other way to get my pound of flesh. I want some other way to, to get rid of my guilt, my shame, or my past, or my present, or my future. And God says, no, it's right here in this Jesus. Right now, sin of the world, gone. Lamb of God. Not your lamb, not what you bring. God brings it, God provides it. Showcasing what it is that God does in history. God doing this work for us. At all times, God being the actor upon us. If you want to see it well, we can just look at the story of John the Baptist. Those of you who know the story of John the Baptist, he is born for one purpose. We heard, of it. We heard similar things in our readings this morning. We heard of Isaiah. Did you hear it? God called me before I was even born. God called me while I was still in my mother's womb and always given for a purpose. Or we have our first Corinthians reading that was read. That this, you are called saints, sanctified, strengthened, all these things that are happening upon us 
God acting upon us. Well, John the Baptist was born for one purpose. He was born to prepare the way of the Lord. He was born, think of this, he was born realizing that he was always going to have to be the sidekick. He was never going to be the focus of attention. He was the one that was always to proclaim, there's somebody greater than me coming. He was the forever opening act of the concert of history. He was never going to be the headline. He was the one who was to come, who was to say, I must decrease, he must increase. He was the one who, when he started baptizing, knew that that baptism that he was doing was in essence his resignation letter. If you read verse 31 of this chapter, it says, I came baptizing to reveal him to Israel. Knowing that once that spirit came and descended, John the Baptist's time was about up. And then finally we see that in his work of of proclaiming, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he loses some disciples. He was actually in a ministry of losing, not of gaining, not of adding to his numbers, adding to his followers. His job was to say, no, not me, him. So church, I ask you this morning, do we have a part to play in a similar, similar role? Church, is God calling on you as one called out to be this one to preach and proclaim a similar thing? Calling on you with a particular calling born for a purpose, a purpose that might look like losing. In all honesty. A, a purpose that is one that calls to us of encounter, of calling for people not to be attached to us, not to be attached to what we offer, but to be attached to that lamb that takes away the sin of the world, to encounter this Jesus. We, we see it in those disciples who leave John and they go to follow Jesus. I always picture it of them. They're hiding behind bushes and they're running behind trees trying to see this Jesus. And Jesus finally gets sick of it and turns around and says, what do you want? And they say, where are you staying? Or where are you abiding, is the word. Where are you making your home, Rabbi? And all Jesus says is, come and see. And then it says, they abided with him that afternoon. They stayed with him. Calling for us to be those who come and see, because the more we see and more we encounter Jesus, the more we know, and the more we know, the more we have to share of this one who takes away the sin of the world who takes away all the things that we try to scrub of ourselves. And this encounter then becomes one of bringing others into that place for them to encounter Christ too, to call upon him, to follow him, to make a home, to abide with Christ in one way or another. Now, I got away with it over at Bethany, but my wife's sitting here, but I'll still talk about it anyways. Every one of us knows somebody in our lives that really, really love essential oils. And they have no problem letting you know they have an oil for that. (laughs) Or maybe it's some new diet, keto diet, carnivore diet, whatever. They have no problem letting you know. Or my favorite is CrossFit, which the joke is, is you don't have to know who's participating in CrossFit. They'll let you know that they're participating in CrossFit, right? Getting attached to these things. It could be a, a, a new musical act that we so love or a new book that we're reading or whatever. And we get so attached to it that we have no problem telling other people about that. 
oh, you should read this book, or oh, you should try this restaurant, or oh, you should hear this music. It becomes this call for us, church, of not just hearing those words, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but knowing it to be true. And being ones who realize that just like John the Baptist, we are ones that have been called out for a particular task, called together as the church to receive what it is that we can from that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but then to call others to that same work of God upon us. Later on in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6 and 7, Paul says it twice. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Twice he says this. It goes way against what our culture often tells us. But the scripture is telling us we are not our own. We belong to someone else. And it becomes our job to go out and speak of that. Speak of that price that has been paid. Speak of that lamb who has taken away the sin of the world. Because that's what he's done for us. That's what he's done for you. So it's a calling for us. Just be like John the Baptist, or maybe even Andrew. What does Andrew say to his brother? We found the Messiah. Come on. And then what happens with Simon when he shows up? Jesus says, you're mine now. I'm naming you. You belong to me, Peter. Granting to him a new life found in that name. Because that's what's been given to you, so let's make sure it's given to others. Thanks be to God. Amen.